All right, so today I'm joined once again by Tom Seams to talk about the monthly data on our economy. Thanks so much for joining me, Tom. Yes, thank you, Matt. Uh, it's really good to be here. All right, so it seems like we saw some surprisingly good unemployment numbers, maybe. Vaccines seem to be flying out the door. The stock market seems to be rising. Even the weather's feeling a little friendlier this week. So I'm hoping that you're here to take me back down to earth. What is the big story going on in 60 seconds? Well, you hit on a lot of good things there. But uh, another part of the big story is Congress appears you know, pretty set to pass this massive $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package. And uh, it looks like it's right along party line. So if you're a Democrat, you probably like the bill. And if you're a Republican, you probably hate the bill. Um, you know, that said, uh, last month I said something about, you know, economic stimulus packages needing to have the three T's, targeted, timely, and temporary. And there's a lot in this bill. There's like $410 billion for stimulus checks, $360 billion in state and government aid, you know, $250 billion to extend unemployment benefits, all kinds of stuff in there. And while some stimulus was likely needed for, you know, a lot of businesses that have been struggling to make ends meet because of the lockdowns and also for workers in, in more of the high touch industries like restaurants and retail and tourism and such, um, the price tag on this bill is really staggering. It represents about 8.8% of annual U.S. economic output. Let's look, take a look at the numbers from the last month and the last few months. What are, what's the good news from the numbers that we're looking at? I'm hearing a lot of good news. As you mentioned, um, almost daily we hear about declines in COVID cases and deaths. And we hear a really good start to the vaccine rollout. Um, economic lockdown restrictions are being removed in a lot of uh, local and state areas. And a lot of a lot of experts expect herd immunity sometime by this summer. Uh, to get to some more specific things with numbers on the employment counts, we saw 379,000 new jobs created in February, and the national unemployment rate then went down to 6.2%. It was at 6.3% the previous month. So that was uh, really welcome news. It was a lot more than most economists expected. Really welcome after January's really dismal report that showed only 49,000 net new jobs. It's worth adding, though, that they, they revised uh, previous months and the revisions for December and January uh, showed a net increase of 38,000 more jobs than we had previously reported. Um, but within that report, if you dig a little bit deeper, most of the job gains occurred in the leisure and hospitality sector. That was up 355,000 workers. And about 80% of those gains were in restaurants. And the other 20% was split pretty much equally between accommodation businesses and entertainment establishments. And that's not the only place we saw job increases. There was like 46,000 in healthcare, 41,000 in retail, um, 21,000 in manufacturing. It just overall had some really good numbers. On some other things, the ISM, uh, that's the Institute for Supply Management, they have a manufacturing index that came out this month. 
and it rose to 60.8 in February, up from 58.7, and that exceeded a lot of forecasts. And to put that number in perspective, anything above 50 signals manufacturing is in expansion territory, and uh, you know if it's below 50, it's it's contractionary. And so this was a reading over 60. Uh, that only occurs 13% of the time. It just doesn't happen very often. Within that, they had a lot of sub-indices, and the production index actually rose to 63.2, which is really high. And I guess there's just one more I'd point out. We saw uh, bond market investors becoming more optimistic about future economic growth. And this is reflected in the 10-year Treasury yield. It increased from about 1.1% at the beginning of the month to around 1.5% by the end of the month. And, you know, some might say, well, uh, they're concerned about inflation, you know, and, and, uh, um, it, it, but that goes along with growth as well. And so when you look at the 10-year Treasury yield, it's really the sum of inflation expectations and long-term interest rates. So I'm guessing about half the increase in the nominal rates um, from their low points was due to normalization in inflation expectations, and the other half was likely due to an increase in real yields. But the bottom line here is that um, although inflation concerns are rising, I think they're really getting generally back to the Fed's 2% stated goal for price stability. Um, it really looks like investors are more and more confident about the economy's growth prospects. So all of that is really great news, but something that surprised me was that the Biden administration actually looked at this jobs report and said, this is not good enough. So what are they looking at that makes them think that there's still some bad news and there are some things to worry about? All right, excellent question. Um, because it's there's, there's always on the one hand story and then on the other hand side of the story, right? So despite the recent gains, there's a lot of work that has to be done on the employment front. Um, we still have a lot of businesses that are closed and they're operating at less than full capacity. And in fact, we have nine and a half million workers that are still off the payrolls that were on the payrolls one year ago today. Right. So that's a that's a lot of folks. And I think the bad news numbers really show up in the weekly initial claims for unemployment insurance. And those are really still pretty alarming. The four-week average is still around 800,000, you know, and um, those are big numbers. And, and also, when you dig deeper into the employment statistics, the number of long-term unemployed, those that have been jobless for 27 weeks or more, is 4.1 million people. And that's 42% of those that are of the total unemployed. And it's 3 million more people than we had a year ago. I think uh, another thing that's kind of bad news for this quarter or for this month is winter storms. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to really fully assess the economic impact from the intensely cold weather that we had all across America and the power outages that we had. Um, there were some obvious supply disruptions, there's delays in construction activity, and there's a lot of just direct damages, particularly, you know, for those of us that live and work in Texas. And I, 
suspect that the declines that we saw in vehicle sales and also the declines we saw in housing starts was probably also directly related to bad weather conditions that we had this month. The last time we talked, you talked a little bit about what you called a K-shaped recovery as what you think is going to come next. Um, what are you seeing over the next couple of months in regards to the economy based upon what's going on? Well, uh, I also said last month, I think what's ultimately needed, right, is for um, those high-touch businesses to reopen. Travel, restaurants, bars, casinos, you know, sporting events, concerts, et cetera. Uh, because that's where a lot of the uh, a lot of the workers that need to get back to work, um, um, you know, they're, they're still sitting on the sidelines, so to speak. So we've got a lot of risks, I think, coming up. And some of them regard the, the virus, they, they seem to be kind of, you know, things that are pretty obvious. Things like, what if the vaccine uh, distribution doesn't roll out as well as we'd like? Or what if we have a surge in new cases from some kind of COVID-19 variant that seems to be immune to the vaccine in some sense? So those are kind of some more direct risks. But I think there's a kind of a deeper, more fundamental risk as we look at things going forward. And that is our road back to normal. And I'll put that in quotes. Um, if you can see my quotes, uh, that may not be, you know, that may not bring us back to the way things used to be, but to really a fundamentally different way of living. You know, we've got economic scars going through this full year of the pandemic. And that can't just be simply reversed by taking the force away, to, you know, by taking the pandemic or by taking the virus away, we're still going to have some scars. And I think the size of that gap from the old normal to the new normal, it, it can be captured in this um, notion that physicists call hysteresis. And it's a concept developed by, by physicists that proves that not all systems bounce back to the beginning after a severe shock. You know, that there can be, in other words, there can be permanent change. And for the economy, I think we're going to see the same kind of thing, um, that even as we recover from the pandemic and, and start to uh, be able to deal better with the, uh, the virus and the health aspects of it, um, there's going to be there's going to be some lasting scars. Like here's just a few: uh, the people that are unemployed, um, their skills are degrading, and they're going to have to learn how to re-engineer themselves to get back into the future economy. Uh, consumer behaviors have changed, um, and we don't know what's temporary and what's permanent. So things like online shopping, movie streaming, eating more at home, those kinds of things, you know, how, how are those going to change? Workplace behaviors is another one. We've, we've, uh, we know a lot of people that work remote and uh, a lot of them like it and, uh, and, and they want to continue to do that. What's that going to do to commuting patterns? What's that going to do to commercial office space? Um, requirements, what's that going to do to travel for business purposes, conferences, etc. And then another one I think involves just um, the way the government 
fiscal policies may have to respond. We may have to look at uh, ways to tax things or tax processes differently. Um, they may look at new regulations or restrictions, uh, maybe especially for travel or for areas where there are really large gatherings. But, you know, overall, no one knows what this new normal is going to look like. Um, but I think that some things can't be totally reversed. And this concept of hysteresis, I think, can help policymakers kind of put together a path going forward that we can better follow and understand. All right. So you talk about policymakers there, but then my last question for you focuses on regulators. Based on all this economic data you're talking about, what should regulators be watching out for in the coming months in their financial institutions? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll probably say this every month when we get together because it's really important for regulators to always focus on safety and soundness, consumer protection, and local economic growth and development. Um, so I think just it's really important for them to continue to watch asset quality and credit quality metrics, um, particularly as we see more stimulus dollars flow into communities and the potential for risky ventures that can't really be supported by sound financial decision making. Again, the money is going to have to go somewhere and the rates are low. So uh, the risk taking can tend to be um, a, a little bit higher. Also, I think with more people being vaccinated and the um, COVID cases declining, herd immunity is really going to be close at hand. So I think regulators need to be on the lookout for how consumers and businesses return to normal or what kinds of new normals are being adopted, new behaviors on the way they conduct business um, and, 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 you know, just, just understanding that, knowing knowing what's going on in their communities and, and how people are interacting. Then finally, I guess I just want to say that, uh, you know, after the pandemic struck this time last year, it was like this week, right? Last week, last year. Well, March madness quickly turned to March sadness. And so I guess some other numbers I want everybody to watch, not just regulators, are all the college basketball scores coming out of Indianapolis where all 67 games are going to be played. And I'd just like to end by saying, go blue. Well, you're, you're hurting my heart a little bit. Uh, we had, a, <laughs> we had a, a wonderful University of Kentucky team last year, and it doesn't look like we're going to make it this year, but I'll be watching those scores. So thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. That's all for today. Simply Stated is a product of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. If you like what you heard, please subscribe in your favorite podcasting app or go to csbs.org newsroom and subscribe. I'm Matt Longacre. Thanks for joining us.